So, early December, I had my first ever uh, stay in hospital. And during that time and since and in all of the follow-up, etc., I have really been trying to focus on using it as a learning opportunity to see what it's like on the other side of the health service. So I would like to have a conversation today about my experience and hopefully there's some tidbits in there that you can learn from and reflect on your own service delivery or your own experience on the other side of the fence. Um, So here's my reflections on my hospital stay. G'day, my name's Brock Cook and welcome to Occupied. In this podcast, we're aiming to put the occupation in occupational therapy. We explore the people, topics, theories and underpinnings that make this profession so incredible. If you're new here, you can find all of our previous episodes and resources at OccupiedPodcast.com. But for now, let's roll the episode. In Early October 2020, I started getting a sore throat. I had assumed that due to the weather becoming extremely hot and the fact that we started using our air conditioning more, I was coming down with a cold. I tend to, I don't get sick very often, but when I do, it tends to be around those times where during my day I change from hot to cold to hot to cold environments sort of more regularly that sort of shift in temperature really often during the day tends to mess me up a bit. So I just assumed I was getting a cold. It started out, felt like a bit of a, you know, strip throat, that kind of thing. Uh, Took some, like, throat lozenges, etc. Felt like my glands were a little bit swollen, etc. Didn't think too much of it. The next day, uh, that would have been like a Wednesday. The next day, so the Thursday... It was slightly worse, nothing to be concerned about. I definitely had worse flus. And it sort of gradually, very, very slowly got worse throughout that Thursday. So I went to bed about 10 o'clock on the Thursday night and not thinking anything of it. I think I had a throat lozenger or something just before I went to bed just to try and ease it enough that I could get to sleep. I woke up at 3 o'clock in the morning, Friday morning, and my throat was so swollen, I could feel it impeding on my airway. I could still breathe fine. I was struggling to talk. It felt like my tongue was swollen. And I thought, this isn't really good. This no longer feels like it might be a cold. I should probably go and get checked out. Now, for a bit of context, I had the day before already made an appointment with my GP for that Friday uh, afternoon to go and get my throat checked anyway just in case at three in the morning it was at a stage where I was like I can't really wait another just over 12 hours for my GP appointment Uh, I'm going to go into emergency and get checked out so I took myself into emergency department at the local hospital here which is where my story begins so I'm rocking up and and I will preface this that I am not out to slag off any particular health service any staff any department anything like that I am simply conveying my experience 
with going through this system, a system that I've never been on this side of before. I've never had a hospital stay that I remember. Apparently, I had a short one when I had adenoids out when I was a kid. I have no recollection of that. Uh, but this is my first time that I've ever had to access emergency services. First time I've ever stayed any extended time in a hospital or dealt with a lot of the professions that I dealt with during this. So I'll preface it with that just in case it comes across because there's positives and there's definitely negatives uh, to my experience. The very first, I would say probably negative, was trying to actually sort of check in in emergency. I rocked up there, uh, obviously on my own, ambulatory, wandered myself in, and trying to speak when I could, you know, I was having some trouble breathing, to a lady on the other side of a Perspex screen who is asking me all kinds of details and I can't speak, she's struggling to understand me, but rather than come up with some other way for me to be able to get her the information that she needed, uh, we just continued this for a rather long time, what felt like half an hour, until she got enough details that she could actually admit me to or admit me on the computer anyway to the emergency department i then waited at the front uh or in the the waiting area at the front of the emergency department for not too long before a nurse came out and took me and another lady who had been waiting there i don't know how long she was there when i arrived so she'd been there longer than me through the service doors out into the actual emergency ward where she essentially showed us to a bed. Bed in an emergency, if you're not sure, is pretty much just a little curtained-off area. They're very tight, very small. They're not very comfortable. And it wasn't too long. A nurse came, pretty much asked me all the same questions that the lady beforehand had asked me through the Perspex. Gave her all of that information. It was stuff about what I'd been doing, you know, what I'd noticed, how long the symptoms had been there, all the usual questions you would think. A bit of a background as to the presenting issue. That was all fine. Um, Straight after that, I had a a junior doctor come and see me. Again, all the same questions uh, that the nurse had literally asked me probably 10 minutes beforehand. This junior doctor, however, did a physical examination of my throat and my tongue and surrounding areas, etc. to try and work out what was going on, which was fine. There was a slight bit of pain. She was quite gentle, so it wasn't too bad when they were sort of poking around my mouth uh, and my, my under my tongue, etc. She had no idea what was going on. It was a, a very unique presentation. I have found out since that even the when she went and got sort of her boss, which I believe was the registrar on that shift. He came, did a very similar examination. He wasn't quite as gentle, but he was still he was still really good. Those doctors in the emergency department were excellent at keeping me in the loop about what they were thinking, what they were doing, what was going on, what was the next step. Excellent. I, the emergency department at that hospital, it was as good a, an experience as I could have hoped under the circumstances, I guess. Um, they originally thought that it was some rare condition based on the fact that one side of my tongue was swollen and raised 
And so my tongue was kind of sloping. And apparently that was some super rare condition that this uh, doctor had only ever seen before in his studies years ago. But that kind of made me somewhat of an anomaly for a short period. And I got more attention than I think I needed during that time. He did ask if students could come and have a look and examine because it was at the time he thought was uh, going to be this super rare condition, etc. I can't even remember what it was called. Gave it some big medical name. The educator in me went, yeah, sure, that's fine. Like, go for your life. Like, I got nowhere to be. I'm sitting here waiting for you guys to work out what it is and how to fix it. So I was more than happy for them to come and have a look. I eventually, I reckon I probably saw 20 doctors. Uh, in that first couple of hours uh, that would come past and purely ask if they could have a look and do a little examination. Some of them were there for a minute. Um, I was poked and prodded more than I was expecting to when I uh, said that I was happy for that to happen. But in the end, again, the the educator in me or the want to assist in people's learning... Uh, didn't blink an eye went okay that's fine uh it got to a point where people were coming up to me and going oh you're that such and such or you're the person it wasn't even my name it was you're the person with such and such condition by that stage i was starting to think well this is gonna make an interesting reflection at the end of it because that being labeled as a condition was definitely a new experience for me it wasn't some something that I was super pleasant or super comfortable with. Uh, but I never said anything at the time. They were doing their job. And again, I was there for assistance. I had no idea what was going on. I wouldn't say I was stressed or worried because, I, like I said, I was still able to breathe. I had started getting a lot of pain, pain swallowing, pain drinking, pain anytime I couldn't talk, anytime I moved my tongue it would hurt. So even though I could breathe, it hurt to do pretty much anything else. So I was trying to limit that, which yeah, sending 35 million doctors around to talk to me probably wasn't assisting in it. I was sent for a CT where they discovered that it wasn't actually this super rare condition that they originally thought it might be. Or in reflection, I think they were kind of hoping that it would be just to... I don't know, liven up their day or something. But in fact, it was a massive stone in my saliva gland on the left-hand side under my tongue that had then since become so infected and so uh, swollen that it was actually pushing up on my tongue and then when it had nowhere else to go there, it was pushing in towards my airway. So... The odd thing was, after I had that answer, I don't think I saw another doctor until I got moved to a ward. Uh, it was very, it was an interesting experience where everyone, it was almost like I, I can understand why people play the victim because uh, I had more attention than I wanted when it was essentially sounding what could be super, super severe and rare and... I was in there trying to Google what was what the treatment plan was for that particular condition, etc., and it didn't sound very good. Um, but as soon as they found out it was something that was sort of 
mundane. That was it. No one was interested in talking after that. The other issue was I was in there. Originally, they kept me under nil by mouth because uh, up until they found out what the actual issue was, they weren't sure if I was going to need surgery or anything like that. So I was kept nil by mouth. I got in there at 3.30 a.m. And by the time I'd got back from the CT, I had the answer. They realized that there was going to be no surgery. Uh, It was probably about 3 o'clock in the afternoon. So I'd already been there for 12 hours. An ED bed just sitting on it uh, is not the most comfortable thing. I was starving. I hadn't had any water uh, either. And it was difficult to get a a, a plan, uh, what was going to happen with regards to the next step by that stage. Once I once they had that sort of answer, so I, I ended up having to go up to ENT, and I had a scope. They checked out my throat to make sure my throat wasn't being impeded from the inside or anything like that. Um, and there was purely this uh, swollen uh, tissue around this this stone. Um, I, before I left ENT after the scope, that was all. That all came back fine. Before I left, because I was admitted under the ENT team, I asked them if I was okay to, you know, eat now that they knew that the plan was going to be that I was going to have to stay in hospital and go on some IV antibiotics for a few days. Um, there was going to be no surgery. Okay, sweet, that's awesome. Am I allowed to have some food, have some water? Yep, sweet, no worries. Um, I had to go back down to ED because they were chockers and I was waiting for a bed uh, on the surgical ward. So I went back down to ED just as the nursing shift handover was happening. Uh, I heard during the handover that I was apparently still nil by mouth, by which I doth protest um, because I obviously the ENT hadn't put that into the notes from my appointment in their department. So the nursing staff in ED were still under the impression that I was nil by mouth. By that stage, I was getting hangry. <laughs> but they were really good once I pointed out. I'm like, dude, I like I just got back from ENT. They said this is the plan, which was written in the notes, but the nil by mouth uh, ending actually wasn't conveyed so she ended up ringing ENT it took about 45 minutes but they found out she got permission to yes okay you can have some food etc and I got like half a sandwich and a bottle of water which was by that stage because I hadn't eaten the day before I think it was about 28 hours since I'd had anything fluid food or fluid that was the best tasting sandwich I couldn't even tell you what was on it now but that was the best tasting sandwich I'd ever had at the time because I was fading away to a baby elephant apparently eventually I got moved to the ward now this is in my experience where I think most people would go oh you're a health professional health professionals make terrible patients and I can agree with that for the most part because one of the things that annoyed me, and I know it was it's hospital policy, but it was really, really frustrating, was the fact that no one would allow me to walk anywhere. And that's annoying. I feel like in an ED situation where I can't go anywhere, I can't do anything, being able to go to the appointment or move to the ward, etc., on my own steam was one of the only things that I actually had control over in that situation. 
and that was being taken away. There, I was in there for a stone in my mouth. I wasn't on any medication at that point in time. I walked in, I drove to the hospital and I walked in on my own power. There was nothing impeding me from mobilizing. I'd been up and wandering and going to the toilet, etc. in the in the ED ward the whole 13, 14 hours that I was in there. Uh, and multiple nurses had seen me do this. But for some reason, walking to the next ward was poo-pooed. Anyway, I got stubborn at some points, and at one point I gave up and just sat in the chair and they pushed me around, which was, to me, I felt at the time really demoralizing. Like, I found it really embarrassing. And I know there's no reason for it, but to me, if I've got the power to do something myself and you're taking that away, that's really disenfranchising. And... After everything else that had been going on, it had been a really emotional day. I was so tired. I'd been up since, you know, three o'clock. I was hungry. I was thirsty. I was not knowing what was going to happen. I'd been on the phone or tried to be on the phone to work to say, hey, I'm not coming in, uh, which was an interesting phone call uh, when you can barely speak. But it was just sort of this one, and it, it seems like such a little thing when you take it out of context, but within the context of everything that had happened up until that point, it was almost like, this is too much. Like, I can't, I I don't want to deal with this. Just let me walk. It was, the walking was the one, especially being confined to this tiny little bed for so long, I wanted to walk, I wanted to stretch my legs. I couldn't go out of the, the ward because the ED is locked. And I guess it's locked for a reason. Like if you generally, most people, if you're in ED, there's a reason you're in there. I was in there for the long period, just purely waiting for a bed. So it was a very draining experience. And it really got to me that the whole like, you know, you can't walk anywhere really got to me. And it got to a point where I think halfway to the war, actually the the nurse that was pushing me to this other ward she was getting directions off another nurse as to like which room it was and it was like back the other way like we'd we'd overshot the hallway uh and she was like gonna turn the wheel and i just went nut and i just stood up and walked uh because uh, by that stage i was like i don't care what your policy says there is no and this is the bad health bad patient because i'm a healthcare prof- professional uh in me coming out but i was I feel like that choice was made for my own mental health. It was just getting a bit too much. So that aside, once I'd sort of settled into the surgical ward, which is where I would stay for the next, I think, five days, I was on IV antibiotics. So I would have a bag of IV antibiotics every six hours, eight hours. So three times a day which meant I was getting one at like 6 o'clock in the morning and I was getting the last one at like 10 or 11 o'clock at night. That was okay because I don't mind being woken up. I knew it was only going to be for a short period. I'm not a person that generally copes very well with lack of sleep, which is the biggest issue that I had with staying in a hospital. Uh, And again, I know why all of this happens and I can't imagine why what someone would think or how they would react if they didn't know the reasons for all of this. But one of the biggest issues I had staying on a ward was being woken up every two hours throughout the night to have my blood pressure taken. Again, not a big thing, but I'm not a person, I'm not a morning person, for sure. 
Uh, and I don't deal well with being woken up for many reasons, for any reason, really. But being woken up every two hours it was just... I, I barely slept. Because I knew it was coming again in two more hours. So, you know, I struggled to get back to sleep. Sleep, My sleep hygiene tanked during the, that week that I was in there. It was horrendous. Couple that with... The fact that I couldn't really do anything. I couldn't go anywhere because I had to be around. Like, I couldn't just disappear for the day because I had to be around so they could take my blood pressure and et cetera, et cetera, all of that stuff fairly regularly. Plus, I obviously needed the IV antibiotics. But the one freedom I did get back is obviously that the surgical ward's not a locked ward. So I could actually go for walks, clear my head whenever I needed to. There's cafes and news agents and all that sort of stuff on site on the hospital campus. So I was able to go and get a real coffee and, you know, sit outside if I wanted to. Or I went to the news agents and got some photography magazines and I was reading those while I was in hospital. My wife brought in pretty much all of my tech. So I had my laptop and charges and all of that kind of stuff. So I had my laptop. Uh, luckily I could access the Wi-Fi while I was in there and I watched a ton of Netflix. Find hospital TV, the, the tiny little speaker thing that sits next to your head and probably annoys everyone else in the room. Highly inconvenient and it's TV. I can get much more, much better shows on YouTube or, or on Netflix. So I kind of entertained myself. I was lucky the room I was in, being a general surgical ward, was such a myriad of different people. And there was a few people that were sort of in and out of there during my stay. But every single person that was in there, I found myself thinking, like, I don't need to be here. Like, I am not sick enough to be in here compared to everyone else in this room. There were people with broken backs, people that had just had, like, almost full facial reconstructions full body burns just compared to my pussy little sort of stone in my saliva gland and a bit of a swollen throat i was doing much better i was the only one in my room that i could actually get up go and have a shower go to the toilet whenever they wanted uh which was uh, it got to a point where i almost felt guilty because my my bed there was four of us in this room obviously there's curtains and everything in between but quite often the curtains are open and you can see other people and because my my bed, my cubicle thing was at the very back. Like I had to walk past everyone to go to the bathroom. And it got to a point where I was like, I almost feel guilty just going to the bathroom or going to have a shower. Like being able to do that, almost feel like I'm rubbing my mobility in their faces. Not that anyone said anything, but it was just a thought that, that crossed my mind after being there for a while. I'm like, I, I feel bad. And it, it, there was a couple of times where I would, you know, use the bathroom while I was out and about and if i was out and about and i just went to get a coffee like i would stay out for until i'd finished it like i didn't want to walk back in with my coffee from the coffee shop in case someone else in that room had you know it, it triggered them in some way i didn't want to rub my my i don't know my wellness in their face and then like i said i i know that no one said anything and i know that that's probably ridiculous but it, it was a, a concern for me at the time and it definitely had an impact on my behaviors during the during my stay and it got to the point where i would essentially close off the curtain fully around my bed so no one could see you know that i was fine sitting in there just watching netflix on my computer or chatting to people or sending emails or listening to podcasts and that kind of thing 
And I pretty much left, I had my headphones in, I reckon almost 24-7, just trying to, I guess, almost create a little bubble around myself because I, one, didn't want to feel guilty about being me and being there for the reason that I was there and not trying to minimize, or not minimize, but I guess trying to rub in the fact that I was relatively healthy compared to everyone else that I saw in that whole ward, not just my room. So that was an interesting reflection and it was something I only really sort of realized that I was doing or even considering or thinking about uh, until after like a day or so, like I'd already been doing it and I went, oh, wait a minute, why am I doing this or why am I thinking this? So my nursing handovers were always super quick. It was always, this is Brock, he's fine, that's it, pretty much. He gets IV antibiotics three times a day and that's about it, so... Yeah, anyway, eventually I was I was kept in over the weekend. I thought I'd be going home on the Monday. They kept me in another couple of days, and then I got sent home, uh, I think on the Tuesday or the Wednesday, the following Tuesday or the Wednesday, with another week's worth of oral antibiotics, but I was feeling much better. The ENT consultants, or the ENT consultant that I saw, aside from the registrars and everything that I saw regularly, Saw him a couple of times. He was rough. First time I, I, I saw him, he was obviously in his full suit and tie and he put some rubber gloves on. He was going to have a poke around in my mouth and I just about bit his finger off because he just jabbed me in the soft tissue where it was really inflamed and really sore. But it, I think a normal person would have like seen the reaction on my face or realized that they nearly lost a finger and, I don't know, apologized or going oh okay so that's a bit tender no not him he just kept going and it one one time he did bring a tear to my eye it was that sore uh he was the least gentle person and in follow-up appointments i've had with him since continues to be the least gentle person i've ever had to deal with in hospital so that was my inpatient experience overall i all of the nurses i had on the surgical ward amazing really attentive really caring you know even though they were waking me up in the middle of the night quite often would apologize and you know i spoke to a few of them about it afterwards and you know they're like oh it's like the bit that i hate about doing that to the job is like waking people up for no reason other than to take their blood pressure etc i'm like yeah it's gotta happen i know i understood that it had to happen it just wasn't pleasant um but overall that that inpatient experience for the vast majority of it pretty pretty good I, I couldn't really fault it the the biggest issue like i said at the start was that sort of communication breakdown at the start between ed and other departments and i would come to learn that that's that's where the biggest breakdowns happen with my further experience anyway so i was discharged home on those antibiotics with the plan being to give it a few weeks and then i had to come in for an outpatient appointment where he, he thought that they might be able to remove the stone just under a, a, a local anesthetic in that outpatient appointment. He said, it's pretty quick. They just sort of cut it and pop it out and it's over in no time. I'm like, okay, cool. A couple of weeks later, I had my outpatient appointment. The stone itself was apparently too far back in my mouth. He wasn't confident in being able to do it just uh, while I was awake, sitting there in a chair. Um, so he recommended that we do it via surgery under a general anesthetic i'm like i again don't remember ever having uh, a surgery so this was going to be another new experience for me he was the very rough consultant 
that I saw during that outpatient appointment. So again, ouch. But overall, he was really good at explaining sort of, you know, the anatomy of it and where it was and how it worked and how the surgery was going to fix it, etc. Cannot fault his his explanations. His bedside manner is a bit blunt, but that's okay. Uh, I understand when you see that many people in a day that these things kind of, it happens. Fast forward to not long into the new year and I have my surgery. Surgery was a completely different beast. I have no recollection of ever having a surgery. Like I said at the start, I apparently had had a a, a small surgery when I was a child. Don't remember it at all. This was a very new experience for me. And I've never waited in so many waiting rooms in my life. We had to rock up at 6 a.m. Just inside the hospital doors is a a, a check-in area. We had to wait in that waiting room. We got checked in. We got sent to the surgical waiting room uh we waited in that room for what felt like an hour i then got moved from that room Uh, my wife my wife was with me with me up until that point we got checked in again in that waiting room where again they took all the same details that the first check-in and waiting room had taken. There I was asked to change into a hospital gown and TED stockings and all of that stuff that's, you know, that standard surgical stuff. I was told that it would be best if I didn't bring my phone or anything like that with me, any personal belongings. I didn't even take my shoes because she told me, just give them to your wife, you're pretty much going into surgery now. The reality was, however... I was moved into another waiting room that was full of people in the same hospital gowns, all of which who were wearing their shoes, all of which who had their phones, and I waited there for another hour with freezing feet and nothing to stare at but a clock or the terrible news. I can remember it. It was the day that they were doing the vote to impeach Trump for the second time. So that was the only thing on the news for the hour that I was stuck in this waiting room with my feet just freezing because for whatever reason in that waiting room, the aircon was ice cold. I remember that. From that waiting room, I got moved into another waiting room. This waiting room had the very creative name called The Holding Bay. So I knew it was another waiting room where I was actually put on a hospital bed uh, and I just got to wait by lying down. So the best thing about that was a heated blanket, which was lovely because my feet were frozen by that stage. From that waiting room, I got moved into what was called Theatre 6, which I was like, sweet, I'm going into theatre. This is where it's going to happen. And I'm like, when I went in there or I got wheeled in there, I was like, this is a very small room to be doing surgery in. And I spoke with the anesthesiology team. They inserted the needles for all of my... Yeah, anesthesia and all that sort of stuff. Hung out there, watched uh, the registrar for that team teach a student how to insert one of those needles using a piece of paper and the ultrasound machine. Listened to. I, I remember the registrar looked. Uh, sorry, the student looked extremely like LeBron James. But that could have been my delusional. I've been waiting for so many hours in various waiting rooms. Yeah, talking by that stage. Eventually, the ENT surgical team showed up. Again, all the same doctors that I'd seen before. So I was quite familiar with them. They were familiar with me, which was nice by that stage because it meant I didn't have to go through all the introductions. The very rough consultant 
had one more prod in my mouth with his finger just to, you know, for good measure and to bring a tear to the eye. I think he was, I don't know what he was doing. I'm assuming checking which side because he then drew an arrow on my neck to make sure they operated on the correct side, uh, which was a bit weird, but I can understand why they would want to do that because I would hate to have woken up and it still be in there, but the other side of my mouth had been cut open. From there, I got moved into the actual operating theatre. And from there, it was pretty much a a blur. Uh, They spent some time setting up. I remember there being a thousand people in that room. Cords and pipes and all sorts of stuff laying everywhere. Uh, And the next minute I woke up, and it was uh, about an hour and a bit later in a recovery room, a surgical recovery room, which I can only assume is right next to the final operating theater that I ended up in. I'd been intubated. Uh, the anesthesiologist was there. When I woke up, I can only assume he woke me up. He pulled the tube out. The tube had been through my nose because I'd operated my mouth, so that was slightly uncomfortable. And that was the last I saw of him. That was the last doctor I saw until a bit later in this story. Um, Nursing staff up until that point had been excellent, really good bedside manners, had explained things really well. Overall, up until that point, it had been a really relatively uneventful, but I wouldn't go as far as a pleasant experience, but it had been as best as I could uh, have expected under the circumstances. From that recovery room, I got moved to another recovery room, which would be my final recovery room, luckily. Up until that point, I will say, up until that point, through all of my outpatients, from after my inpatient stay, from through my outpatient appointments, and right up until I was put out for the surgery, the plan was this was going to be a day surgery. I was going in, it was get, the stone was getting taken out, and I was going to be home in the afternoon. When I got back to the recovery ward, I was like, all right, sweet. My logical brain was, you know, I sit here, I wake up, um, I get checked out, the doctors come, they do a review, I get sent home. It probably took me, it, it wasn't long at all. I reckon it was half an hour before I was feeling like, when I first woke up, I felt a little bit groggy. Probably half an hour later, I was feeling fine. It would have been about 45 minutes later, I reckon, maybe an hour I was feeling well enough that I could go and get changed. I got changed out of my hospital gown, put my clothes back on, put my shoes back on. All, again, under my own power. I wasn't being wheeled around or anything like that. My wife was there. We were talking. I would have been about 12.30-ish that I got to this ward. And the nursing handover had just happened, and I had overheard because they weren't speaking directly to me, but I'd overheard that I was being transferred to the surgical ward again whenever a bed was available. And that was a bit confusing for me, because up until that point, I had no knowledge of this plan. I After that nursing handover, I know they've got a lot of duties they've got to do for start of the shift, etc. But when she got around to me doing my blood pressure and stuff, I asked, you know, what's the plan here? Like, how does this work? Like, does the doctor come and see me now? Like I'm, you know, getting ready to, pretty keen to go home, a bit over just sitting around all day. Uh, and she said, oh, no, you're staying, and walked away. And that was the start of when things 
didn't go as I would have hoped from a health professional's uh, view, especially one that teaches communication. Um, that's when things kind of started to go a bit skewiff. And yeah. So I was a bit perplexed by that sort of reaction. And over the next couple of times that I would see this person, one being when everybody else in, in the ward's lunch started to arrive and I wasn't given any and I asked, I'm like, oh, am I able to get some food? Because, you know, I've been fasting uh, since you know, the night before. It's again now like I don't know, 18 hours later or something. And I'm a little bit hungry and... Her response was, you didn't arrive on the ward until after the lunch orders had been placed, so there's no lunch order for you. And again, walked away. Now, I've been on the ward now a couple of times by this stage for this same process that we talked about earlier, and I know that if there's you know, no lunch order, there's always extra meals, etc., that come on the trolley for circumstances like mine where, you know, food is still needed. <laughs> but that wasn't offered, it wasn't suggested, it wasn't anything. I wasn't allowed to leave because I was still under monitoring, post-surgery, etc. So I couldn't even go and get my own food. But more than the food, I wasn't, like, super starving like I was when I was in the emergency, but more than that, the the bedside manner and the communication really just blew me out of the water because up until like up until this point I'd had excellent nurses, excellent doctors, mostly excellent communication with me. It was mainly just the interdepartmental communication that I thought had lacked a little bit, but up until this point communication with me had been unreal. I could not fault it. I eventually got to the point where I asked can I please have the doctor come and... Or can you please ask the doctor? Actually, originally I asked if they could ask the doctor about my plan to go home. Because up until that point, the plan, as far as I know, had been to go home. And she replied again with, no, you're staying. By that stage, I was getting slightly frustrated with her lack of communication or the the nurse's lack of communication and the bluntness of her bedside manner and complete dismissiveness of my requests, which I was under the impression seemed to be quite reasonable. Like, you know, can I have some food? <laughs> and I argued with her politely. I was polite about it, but I explained to her that up until this point, right up until the point where I woke up, the plan was for me to go home. And now all of a sudden the plans change and no one can tell me why. All I wanted to know was why. If there was a a reason that they something had happened during the surgery or whatever it was, if there was a reason why I needed to stay, I was okay with that. But no one could tell me why in the space of one hour the plan had changed and I wasn't aware of it. I used the lunch as an example. I'm like, even the fact that there was no lunch order placed for me indicated that there was no intention of me originally staying there longer than the day like i i wasn't meant to be there no one had been planning for me to be there so eventually she rang uh, ent and ent said they were going to send a doctor down 
I understand they're busy. It took an hour and a half or so for that doctor to come down. During that period, though, was the final straw that I had with that nursing staff where I was sitting on the side of my bed. I was listening to music. Actually, I only had one headphone in. That was my left-hand headphone, so she wouldn't have even seen it. My wife was sitting in the chair beside the bed. I was obviously very much awake and very much alert because I was sitting there looking around the room, observing pretty much everything that happened around me. Uh, When that nurse who had been assigned to my room, my cubicle, whatever you want to call it, my curtain-surrounded bed, came into my curtain-surrounded room and spoke directly to my wife and said, I'm going on lunch. That nurse over there, pointing at the nurse's station, will be looking after him. And then walked away. And I may have called out after her saying, I'm sitting right here because... Not talking to the person that you're working with, talking about them while they're in the room and not acknowledging their existence is 101, something that I teach my first-year students as one of the biggest no-nos in any clinical situation. And I can't get my head around why a seemingly experienced registered nurse would do such a thing. But I by that stage, I was beyond livid with the lack of communication and the communication that I did have was so poor that when the doctor came, he gave me the option of discharging or staying overnight. He said that the overnight plan was just a precaution thing, that there was no indication of any swelling or anything like that that might contraindicate my surgery at the point in time, which was now about four hours afterwards. And I chose to discharge. I, one, was already so angry at everything that had happened up, like after I'd woken up from surgery, the lack of communication. Again, I was still hungry because I still hadn't had any food. This was three hours after the, the nurse. It had been pointed out to the nurse that I didn't get any. And... I had spoken to the doctor and said, like, what are the likelihood of, you know, the swelling coming up excessively fast? Uh, It didn't last time. It was like a two-day thing. He agreed that it would probably be fairly similar if it did happen. And I came to the conclusion that, well, staying overnight isn't going to do anything other than disrupt my sleep again. Didn't want to be there already. I was exceedingly uncomfortable. Those beds aren't the best, (laughs) as I'm sure anyone who's been into a hospital well, no, I said to the doc, like, I'm going to go home. And if anything starts swelling, if I get excessive pain, if anything is out of the ordinary, he gave me a list of things to look out for. I'll come back. And he was happy with that. I did have to sign a discharge against medical advice waiver, but I was more than comfortable in that. And again, I know a lot of people have gone, oh, you're just a, you know, health professionals are terrible patients. And that may be the case, but it was an experience that I just wanted over. I was done with it. Anyway, I had no issues following that. My surgery went well. Everything healed up fine and everything has been A-OK since. On reflection, I've taken some lessons as I've just described to you guys. I've taken some lessons um, around communication that I I think are really valuable and it's reinforced some of the things that we are taught and that we teach to our future professionals uh, around communication, like don't talk about the person like they're not in the room when they're right there. Uh, that was number one. I think being able to try and empower the person 
to take control, to be able to enable them as much as possible to be in control is another one within reasons. Again, I understand hospital policy and stuff, but I think a lot of the time we see reactions that we might interpret as aggressive or frustrated or you know annoyed or angry when really it's being caused by the system that we're working in. And I think a little bit of understanding around that for the people that we work with will go a massively long way. Overall, uh, I would say the majority of my hospital experience was as positive as could be expected under the circumstances. But there's definitely some things that I believe that we as health professionals can assist in improving. There is actually one story that I forgot to tell that I do want to add because when I was waiting in the fifth or sixth or whatever waiting room before my surgery, I was sitting in a chair in this waiting room, staring at the TV, watching the Trump vote, impeachment votes come in. There was a guy, I'd never looked, I never actually turned around and looked, I was just listening. He was behind me, he was in a bed, he'd already had his surgery the day before. Uh, it was about 10 o'clock in the morning. I found out he'd apparently had his surgery at about three o'clock the the afternoon previous and the nurse was trying to explain to him that there was a rule that you couldn't get on public transport for 24 hours after uh after surgery after waking up from general anesthetic the guy had an accent i'm not sure what country he was from it sounded sort of german-ish but it could have could have been many others i'm not sure he lived on a there's a small island off the coast of where i i live uh, he lived there so you have to catch a ferry which is technically classed as public transport so she was trying to explain to him i believe she might have been a social worker or a nurse i'm not sure but she was trying to explain to him that he couldn't get on the ferry until three o'clock which would have been you know when the 24 hours was up but she said that she was explaining that oh, we could arrange so that you could get there at three o'clock so that when three o'clock rolls around you know you can get on the ferry and get home as quickly as possible and she kept saying to him like we can put you on the bus so that you're at the ferry at three o'clock so when that 24 hours is up you can jump on the ferry and get home and this poor guy they went around in circles for about 20 minutes because this poor guy couldn't understand why he couldn't catch public transport i.e the ferry but he was going to catch the bus to the ferry before the three o'clock deadline or before the three o'clock sort of cutoff. And they went around and he was like, but you're going to put me on the bus. So why can't I just catch the bus now? Uh, why can't I, if you put me on the bus now, why can't I just get on the ferry now? Uh, and they went around, like I said, for 20 minutes before even I clicked on to what she was actually trying to say was that they were going to get the hospital transport bus to take him to the ferry so that he was at the ferry at three o'clock. But at no point did she say the hospital transport. It was just the bus. And they just, it was, it was almost a Penny Hill sketch. It was just, they went around in circles. It was almost comical. But it got to the point where I was like, do I just go over and explain that these two people are talking about the same thing and just confusing each other and making, uh, I guess, a bad experience for this poor guy? I didn't because I got moved on to another waiting room soon after that, but it just was another example of when communication is so massively important for creating positive experiences for the people that we work with. I'll leave it at that for now. Thank you very much. If you're still listening by this stage, thank you very much. I hope that my reflection of my experience 
has given you something that you might be able to take away into your own professional practice again once again if you have any questions shoot me a a message a dm an email however you want to communicate best let me know what you think let me know your experiences and have an awesome awesome occupied day if you liked this episode and want to check out more head over to occupiedpodcast.com or search Occupied Podcast in your favorite podcasting app. If you have thoughts or reflections on the topics discussed today, please do get in contact. We'd love to hear from you. And lastly, if you've got some value from this, and you want to help